That's a really good song. I didn't get songs like that growing up, so I should be very thankful for songs like that. It's very rich, deep, theologically. It's wonderful. Our scripture passage reading goes perfectly with the song we just sang. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Pew Bible page 1,834. 1,834. Paul to the church in Colossae says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, Slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thus the reading of God's word. May he bless it to his people. We're also going to be looking at Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 18 can be found in the back of your Green Psalter Hymnals on page 24. Page 24 in the back. And we can read the answers together with one voice. What do you mean by saying he ascended into heaven? That Christ, while his disciples watched, was lifted up from the earth into heaven. And will be there for our good until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. But isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is true man and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth. But in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is not absent from us for a moment. If his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not, since divinity is not limited 
and is present everywhere. It is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity he has taken on. But at the same time, his divinity is in and remains personally united to his humanity. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he pleads our cause in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven, a guarantee that Christ, our head, will take us, his members, to himself in heaven. Third, he sends his Spirit to us on earth as a further guarantee. By the Spirit's power, we make the goal of our lives not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. That's the teaching of the Catechism on Lord's Day 18. I don't know if uh, many of you are familiar with the movie Rocky. You guys know that movie, Sylvester Stallone? Um, There's a very famous scene in that movie. And it's a famous scene because just in like every movie, there's a time in which the hero of the movie falls. And you think that it's over for him. And this is a boxing movie, so Rocky's story is he loses in a, in a match. And, and, and he has this victory montage of getting back on his own two feet and, and, and working out to get back in the ring and to be the victor, to be the winner, right? But there's this scene, this, this movie takes place in Philadelphia. And I've actually been to these steps. I don't know if any of you have ever gone to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And there's this building there, monument. I don't remember what it's called, honestly. But there's these steps, lots of steps. And there's this famous scene in the movie Rocky where he goes up the steps and he gets up on top of the steps and he's like this. And for whatever reason, that scene has captured people for so long. In fact, I think there's a a Facebook group on Facebook of people who go and do that scene where they climb up the steps and they do the rocky victory shout. And I think the reason why that scene in particular has captured the imagination of our people, of the people in this country, in this nation, is that there's an ascension up the steps. It's sort of a Um, A representation of Rocky Balboa saying, I will not be beaten down. I will not be defeated. It's him climbing back to the top. It's him showing that he's the victor, that he's overcome. And that's, in a very real sense, what Christ's ascension is picturing as well. His ascension into heaven is his final victory lap. It's it's Christ climbing those steps up into the heavenly throne room and sitting at the right hand of the Heavenly Father in victory that he was not overcome, that he was the overcomer. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight is the reality of Christ's ascension. What it means for us as Christians. The theme this evening 
is that Christ's ascension... Ascension is one of those words that's kind of hard to spell. Christ's ascension brings us the comfort of our eternal salvation. Christ's ascension brings us the comfort of our eternal salvation. So when the catechism says, how does Christ's ascension benefit us? Really what it's wanting us to do is, how does Christ's ascension fit into our confession on Lord's Day 1? That our only comfort in life and in death is not that I'm not my own, right? Um, but we're going to look at this in three parts. Christ's ascension brings us the comfort of our salvation because it shows us these things. Um, it shows us that our advocate... is in heaven. It shows us that our home is in heaven. And it shows us that our focus is in heaven. Or toward heaven, if you can word it that way. I want to look at this first point. Our advocate is in heaven. But before we get to that, I want to cover briefly the question and answers in the catechism that lead up to that final question and answer where it tells us the benefit of Christ's ascension into heaven. Um, Lord's Day 18, question and answer 46 is quite straightforward. It says, what do you mean by saying he ascended into heaven? That is, what do you mean that... By saying, when we confess the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed, he ascended into heaven. And the answer is that, that uh, this is a historical fact, right? That we read in Luke, at the end of Luke's Gospel, that we read at the beginning of the book of Acts, this depiction of Christ, that while his disciples watched, was lifted up from earth into heaven... And will be there for our good until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. That the reality, the historical fact, that Christ ascended into heaven. This is not figurative language. This is not some sort of um, airy spiritualism that can just be philosophized. This is a historical fact. Christ literally was lifted up and was gone and behind into the clouds and was taken away from the disciples' sight. It's a historical fact. And I don't think it means that he went out in, into outer space, into Jupiter or something like that. I think it means he was transferred into heavenly realm. Question and answer 47 is a, a very simple response to that. But didn't Christ promise in Matthew chapter 28, right... If you remember the Great Commission, he said, Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. For whatever reason, I've got that one memorized in like half NIV, half King James. 
He promised that he would be with us always to the end of the age. But how can that be true if he's not with us anymore? If he has ascended into heaven? And the answer is sort of complicated theologically, but I want to try to make it simple for us. Christ is both man and he is God, right? He's both human and divine. And we talked about what it meant that Christ was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, that he took on human nature, right? And we confess that Christ is one, one person, both human, both divine, no confusion, no mixing of the natures. Christ is true man and true God in his human nature. Christ is not now on earth. But in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he's not absent from us for a moment. And so what it's saying here is that, yes, according to Christ's human nature, in his body, he's not with us anymore. But since Christ is both human and divine, we confess and to believe that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing, but he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere. So in Christ's divinity, majesty, grace, and by his spirit, he is not absent from us for a moment. So he was not lying when he said to us, lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age, because according to his divinity, he is. He never leaves us. And according to his spirit, which he has poured out upon us, Christ is present in a very real way with us. And then continuing on to question and answer 48. If his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Um, We don't want to do that. We are not separating the natures. Um, The answer is certainly not, since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere. It is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity he's taken on. But at the same time, as divinity is in and remains personally united to his humanity. And maybe some of you are thinking, what is the purpose of this? Well, it's actually um, a polemic. At the time when the Heidelberg Catechism was written against the Lutheran view of Christ. And I'll try to explain that at this point. The Lutheran view of Christ is that his divinity and his humanity are so united that since his divinity has the trait of omniscience and omnipresence, then so too does his humanity. And that's why they say that Christ's humanity is present everywhere. And that's why they say in the Lord's Supper that Christ's humanity is present in and around and above the elements. The Reformed faith rejected that view. And they said, no, Christ's humanity is present in heaven, in the heavenly throne room. But his divinity is everywhere with us. And this is not a division of the natures. So it's really just an argument 
uh, against the Lutheran view. I think the Reformed view is correct, of course. But that just gives you a little interesting tidbit of history. What's really important here is that you understand what the benefit is of Christ's ascension. I've talked as we've gone through these features of the reality that Christ's death by our union to him is our death. Christ's resurrection by our union to him is our resurrection. And I say today in the title of the sermon, his ascension and our ascension. Christ's ascension, because of our union with him, is also communicating to us about our ascension. What I mean by that is if Christ had his Rocky Balboa moment, then in Christ we share in that Rocky Balboa moment. So let's talk about how our advocate is in heaven. Question and answer 49. First benefit is he pleads our cause in heaven and the presence of his Father. There are many scripture passages that we could look at that would more clearly state this than Colossians chapter 3. Um, Romans 8 and 9 is one of them. He intercedes on our behalf. Um, that's the priestly role discussed in the book of Hebrews. John, 1 John, discusses this as well. We have an advocate, an interceder. And the point of an advocate, if we don't understand what this is, is someone who speaks on our behalf, someone who defends us. Now, what is being communicated by saying that we have an advocate in heaven it's not that Christ is there and every time the Heavenly Father says, oh, I want, to, I want to pour my wrath out upon them, Christ is there and he goes, oh, no, 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 don't do that. What is being communicated in this is that Christ is there as our representative and because he holds in his body the very things that show that he was on the cross, his wounds, his side, the, uh, the marks from the crown of thorns. There is a constant presence of the perfect and final sacrifice. There is a constant presence of the perfect and final righteousness that we receive in Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who speaks on our behalf because he died on our behalf, because he was resurrected on our behalf, and because he ascended on our behalf. He is the one who is in our place. He is the one whom has reconciled us to the Father by his advocacy. You would often hear that terminology in our day and age through terms like political advocacy or um, advocacy in other areas, right? Christ is our advocate. And his ascension brings us the comfort of our eternal salvation as our advocate in heaven because we know, because he's there, that we will never, now that we've been brought into a place of grace and mercy, fall under God's judgment and condemnation again. 
What greater representative and advocate could you ask for than Jesus Christ, our Savior? Colossians chapter 3 speaks about this, his ascension being our ascension, when it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Ephesians, Paul says much, uh, very much a similar thing when he says, You are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. Remember, we are united to Jesus. So as he sits in heaven, we are there with him. Even though we may be bodily present here, spiritually, we have ascended and had our Rocky, Rocky Balboa moment in Jesus Christ. So Christ's ascension brings us the comfort of our eternal salvation because our advocate is in heaven, but also because our home is in heaven. I'm getting smart about this. Our second benefit here says we have our own flesh in heaven, a guarantee that Christ, our head, will take us, his members, to himself in heaven. Often I don't think we ponder this. We ponder the reality that before Christ was raised from his resurrection, before Christ walked up to those heavenly gates and said, swing them open, and presented himself to the heavenly Father and said, I'm here to prepare a place for my disciples, for my brothers and sisters. But there was never a man in heaven. Today, there is a man in heaven. And I know this is a bit simplistic to think of. And it helps us to understand that this is a new reality, not something that has occurred before. Because no man could present himself before a holy God in his own sin. He would be consumed. Christ, the sinless one, who had him placed on him our sin to cleanse us of our sin, is the first man to have ever walked in heaven on his own two feet. And what I mean by a little bit simplistic is, it kind of says to us, if he can do it, so can we. Now, that's simplistic because, as I've said, we're united to Christ. And so we already are seated in, with him in heavenly places, spiritually. But the question is, how can we know that our bodies deserve to be in heaven, that we deserve to have resurrection bodies like Christ, that we, as we are now, 
are going to be in heaven as he is, a man in heaven. Well, Jesus is truly human. Truly human. And he's in heaven now. And because he is bodily in heaven, and because we are united with him, so too will we be one day. Christ is the head. We are the body. We are united to him, our Savior. And he will take us, his members, to be with him in heaven. That's why I say Christ's ascension brings us the comfort of our eternal salvation because our home is in heaven, that that's where we belong. And what I mean by that is is not some ethereal place that's only spirit and does not have any concrete objectivity, that there's not physicality to that, because if Christ is physically in heaven, then what is awaiting us is a new heavens and a new earth in real human bodies where we will enjoy a physical experience. We, we will enjoy a perfect physical and spiritual reunion, union. And that's what awaits us. And looking towards that, our final resting place, our home, is not something that pulls out of us any sort of desire to be fruitful in this life. I know I've talked about this before, but people saying, well, you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. The fact that there is an earthly human body in heaven right now cuts against that entirely. That mindset. We look toward heaven where Christ is. And we find comfort in that. We find hope in that. That one day, we will be with him, resurrected, without sin, unhindered by the brokenness and the curse that has fallen upon this world. Praising the God-man who paved the way for us that we may have a home in heaven. There's this last benefit. Our focus is in heaven. I struggle with trying to figure out how to word this, but it says, how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? Third, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a further guarantee. So Christ's body in heaven is a guarantee, and the spirit is a further guarantee. By the spirit's power, we make the goal of our lives not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. The spirit of God is a down payment The Spirit of God is something that has been given to us as a layaway. Do you know what? You, you guys remember that? They used to do that, layaway, right? You can go to a store and say, I want to put this on layaway. 
I don't know if they do that anymore. But uh, it might still happen. It's a further guarantee to us of what awaits us. That the Spirit has marked us for our eternal destiny. Is, is something that has set us aside as those who are awaiting the new heavens in the new earth. The coming of Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead. Our focus is in heaven. The Spirit is a further guarantee for us of that eternal destiny, our final and culminating ascension, right? You could say our final and culminating ascension is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when it says that we will, He will come and we will be lifted up with Him, to Him, right? And by the Spirit's power, we make the goal of our lives not earthly things. But the things above. That's what I mean by our focus in heaven. And particularly enlightening in relation to the message this morning is that if Christ is in heaven, it's not surprising that the Holy Spirit's work is to point us to heaven because it's glorifying Christ. It's pointing us to Christ, right? We make the goal of our lives not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. And that's why I chose Colossians chapter 3 all the way from verse 1 to 17. Because not only does it tell us that we should set our hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at God's right hand. Not only tell us to set our minds on things above, not earthly things. For we're died, we've died and our life is now hidden in Christ who is in heaven. Um, and we're promised that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we'll also appear with him in glory. But it tells us what that looks like. What does it look like? To not be set on earthly things, but on things above. Give me that in a more concrete form. Practical, right? Paul says, put to death. Put to death what I like to call the fruits of the flesh, right? We have the fruit of the Spirit, and we have the fruits of the flesh. But the death, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, what are the things that belong to our earthly natures, the things that cling to us, the sin that clings to us, the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but rid yourselves of these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken your old self off with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. So what it looks like to focus upon earthly things and uh, to not focus upon earthly things is to kill sin. Mortify is a technical theological term. Mortify the flesh. We don't do this by our own power. We do this by the grace of God. We do this by praying to God that he would work by his spirit in us more and more. 
to take off the old self, to get rid of the earthly things that remain in us, to put on the new self and walk in newness of life. And we do this not by looking to ourselves, but by looking to Christ, by focusing on Him in heaven where we are seated. You see what this is saying is that because we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places, that all that's happening here on earth is that our bodies are catching up to it, catching up to the reality that's already true. We're growing in godliness and holiness because what's already true of us in Christ is coming to reality in us. There's that tension always in the Christian life. We're justified, right? It says just as if we'd never sinned. But we do sin, don't we? And we're being sanctified. We're growing in godliness and holiness by God's grace. What are the heavenly things? What are the things above that we are called to focus upon? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Sing with wisdom psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. And do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It means taking off the characteristics that once characterized us as we lived as people who were in the world. Because we have been taken out of the world in a very literal sense, raised up with Christ in heavenly places. Because we've had our rocky Balboa moment where we climb those steps and put our hands up in the air, then it's time to start living like that. It's time to get back in the ring and by God's grace and by God's power start boxing the sin that remains in us. Christ's ascension brings us the comfort of our eternal salvation because our advocate is in heaven. Christ who died on our behalf, who was raised on our behalf, is seated with is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father and intercedes on our behalf. Christ's ascension brings us the comfort of our eternal salvation because our own home is in heaven. And Christ is a guarantee in his body that he will one day bring us to be with him. And lastly, Christ's ascension brings us the comfort of our eternal salvation because our focus is in heaven. In the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, God is working in us to remove the earthly things, to bring our attention to things that are above, and to call us further and further into godliness and holiness for his sake. People of God, may you know how the ascension of Christ is your ascension. How Christ's ascension is for your good. 
how Christ's ascension benefits us as believers. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in the ascension of Jesus, we have come to have a representative, an advocate, an interceder on our behalf there with you in the heavenly throne room before your presence. That we have come to have a very own flesh in heaven. There's a guarantee that Christ, who is our head, will take us, his church, to be with him in heaven forever. And that we, by Christ's ascension, have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by the Spirit's power in us, we make our goal not things below, not earthly things, but things above where Christ is, calling us to grow in godliness and holiness, to take off the old man, to mortify the sin, to kill the sin that remains in us, that we may bring into our lives more and more the reality that's already true in Jesus Christ, that we have ascended with him and sit with him at your right hand. And Lord, as we continue in this life, may these truths bring us hope, bring us peace, bring us comfort until the day comes when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead and to bring us his, his blessed and chosen ones to be with him forever in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.